um, explained it to them about a month ago. But our new logo, we have a circuit board. The reason why it's a circuit board is we think of activate, right? And whenever I was trying to come up with a logo for it, I thought of like a flame or something. But literally every youth group in the world has a flame in their logo. So I was like, we need to change that up. Then I toyed with the idea of like a power button. Like you activate and you turn that on. But then that was just kind of goofy because you just had a big power button. So I ended up getting to a circuit board. All right, and this is, um, I'm not an electrician, I'm not an engineer or anything like that. Brian could tell you everything about circuit boards and uh, things of that nature. But what this is, this circuit board, you have the uh, different synapses, electrons, I think of it as a brain, right, going out. And the reason why I chose this logo specifically is because it is continuing, continuing to branch out, continuing to move forward. So that's how we got with the logo. And then the next slide, I believe, gets to our name. All right, so the name was kind of what we based everything around. The logo was just something that we needed to have that looked kind of cool. But the name itself is Activate. And it comes from, and if you look at how it's spelled, Acts 1 v. 8, symbolizing Acts 1 verse 8. And the reason why is this is kind of our, our mission statement, our goal. This is what we center everything around. And that verse says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost, or when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses talks about in Jerusalem, Judea, but what we focus on is to the ends of the earth. Okay, so that, that is our goal. That is our vision, is that God has filled us with our Holy Spirit, um, and our goal now is to spread the love of Christ, to spread that message to the ends of the earth. So that is how we got to that. And then the student ministries part, uh, we have a couple that come up there that are technically not in the youth age, um, but we want to do a better job of reaching every age group, that hyphen age group, that college and career age group, uh, giving them a sense of belonging, right? Giving them somewhere to go uh, so they don't feel like they're stuck in the middle and I'm not in the youth, but I'm not really married, I'm not in all that, so I need somewhere to go. So that's why we went with that. Um, so we're so, so excited um, for all this. And there are ways that you guys can keep up with us. Uh, we do have an Instagram account now. You can find us at activate underscore NLAC. Um, on Facebook, it's the exact same group as before. Parents, we didn't change a new one. We just gave it a new name uh, to activate student ministries. And then the last thing um, I was going to share with this, uh, I first off, I wanted to thank a couple people. I want to personally thank Brother Bill Miller, uh, Caleb King, who is not here. Yeah, go ahead, give him a round of applause. Because we have made some changes upstairs to the youth room as far as cosmetics. And if we want to throw that up on the screen... It's kind of difficult to see, um, but we have a platform up there now. Uh, we have some different lights, a different backdrop. Uh, all of these things were donated by the Gillilands, by the Millers, uh, by Caleb himself. Um, so we're so, so thankful for that. Um, and I especially want to thank Brother Brad Gilliland because I am not a carpenter in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I had a vision. I told him, hey, this is what I kind of want to do. Can you help me out with it? Uh, and I say we together, it was mostly him doing everything. I drilled in a couple screws. Um, but he helped make that vision possible um, by building that stage. So I, I want to give him a round of applause, and youth especially. Thank him for all of his hard work. And this is still a work in progress. Um, there's some other things that we want to do. Uh, as far as the future, we are kind of finishing up that side of things. Um, that's on... The far end, I don't know if it's north, south, east, or west. I should be better at that. But at the back end of the youth room, uh, that is where we have our stage. We're having that so we can have more youth services, uh, things like that. And then once that is all finished, we're shifting our focus um, to the other side of the youth room, this end, 
again, not sure if it's north, south, east, or west, um, but we're going to throw in some couches, a different area uh, that kids are able to hang out in, essentially making it a place that when the youth get here, when the hyphen get here, let's go upstairs. That's where we're at. That's where we want to be. Um, so again, thank you. Thank you for everybody. And thank you for the youth, for your guys' fundraising. Your fundraising goes towards HYC, um, but some of your fundraising did go towards this as well. So give yourselves a round of applause. So, But our mission is to reach the lost, to create disciples, and to go and spread this gospel to the ends of the earth. And I believe that God has a promise for not just this group of students, but for this church as a whole and for the community surrounding us. So I'm going to transition. I'm going to get out of talking about the youth group, um, and I'm going to get into my message since pastor did ask me to preach today, not just talk about the youth. So, so we're going to do that. So if you want to turn with me uh, to the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to be reading uh, in the NIV. For the NIV, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. For each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders, so that so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And we're going to skip all the names and who was the tribe of who and all that stuff because it will take too much time. But verse 17, it says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and go into the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the tree, are there trees um, in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven uh, years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Ishkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I know that's a bit of a lengthy reading. We'll do a little bit more reading um, later on. But today, with the help of the Lord, just for a few moments, 
I want to speak to you on the subject of grasshoppers in a land of giants. Grasshoppers in a land of giants. Over the past few weeks, we've heard Brother Josh teach on the story of Moses, talking about the deliverance from Egypt and how God used Moses to help free the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And as we know, through a number of different plagues and through a constant back and forth battle with Pharaoh, God delivered the people from the bondage of slavery. God delivered his people from the Egyptian bondage. God made a way for them through the Red Sea. And despite constant rebellion from the Israelites, constant back and forth, and constant mumbling and groaning and complaining, God still brings them to the land that he has promised to their forefathers. Now, in this passage, we see upon their arrival at Kadesh Barnea, which bordered the promised land of Canaan, they sent out 12 spies to survey the land and its people. And after 40 days of exploration, the spies returned, with only two of them bringing a positive report. Looking back in at uh, verses 31 and 33 in the King James, it says, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we are in their sight. So we have this story, right? We have all of these different spies, 12 of them. Each tribe of Israel sends a spy. And there's only two that come back with a positive report. Their names are Joshua and Caleb. A lot of biblical scholars say they were real good-looking guys, is what I've, what I've been told. Must be the name, I don't know. Some, something like that. But Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who are going to dissent this notion of we can't do it. Right? So and that leads us to chapter 14. It says, that night, again in the NIV, sorry there's a lot of reading, but we'll get, it gets us to where we need to go. Uh, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Okay, so God, again, has brought the children of Israel to the very point that he has promised the forefathers thousands of years ago. Right? Again, despite all of the constant back and forth. And if you ever read through that whole journey, Josh, I know you've been studying it. It's one of those passages in scripture. And as I go through it, I honestly, I get annoyed. Because every time God does something for the Israelites, they're like, all right, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And then one little minute thing happens. And they're like, oh, man, we should just go back to Egypt. What are we going to do out here? Right? So God has still, despite all of that, spared their lives and has brought them to the place of their promise. But they get there, and instead of seeing the positive, instead of seeing, oh, look at what all this land has to offer, they see the negative, right? And they choose to listen to the voice of the ten negative rather than the voice of the positive. 
All right, how many know your attitude matters and the words that you say matter, church? Amen. All right, so the people grumble and they complain. Once again, nothing new. And in their fear and anger, they wish that they could return to their life of bondage before them. And like I said, this is not anything new. Anytime things get hard, their default reaction, well, we tried. Let's just go back to the way things used to be. I guess we should just go back and be slaves once again. Let's go back in bondage. They get angry with Moses. They get angry with God. And this happens time and time and time again. But yet somehow, because he's a better man than I am, Moses still vouches for these people every single time. And he begins to intercede for these people. Because at this point, in verse 11 and 12, God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed among them? And he threatens to destroy them with a plague and make Moses a greater nation. And because of Moses' pleas, God spares the Israelites and forgives them. But there's going to be a cost. Numbers 14, 23, it says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So the Israelites are now cursed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for each day that they explored the promised land. The Israelites did not want to go in. They did not want to take the promise that God had for them. So God gave them exactly what they wanted. He said, you don't want it? That's fine. Okay, eventually if you keep putting yourself above the promise of God, he's eventually going to give you what you want. Okay, if we are constantly uh, saying, God, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. God, I need these promises. And he gets you to that point, like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me, God. He's going to listen to you. And I've done it in my own life, right? Um, I've said to myself, God, you know, I need you to make a way out of the situation. I need you to do this. And then he makes a way. And I'm like, I don't like that way. That way is kind of scary. There's giants that way. That, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to do that way. Or better yet, the prayer that uh, we, we often all pray. We say, God, use me. I want to be used. I want to be used. And then God says, okay, here you go. Here's your opportunity. Here's your promise. And we said, well, God, I can't do that. God, God, I've goofed up way too many times. God, I'm too shy. God, God, I'm humble. I, I can't be in front of everybody. I can't do this. Right? And sometimes we mistake selfishness for humbleness. We mistake meekness as, uh, as pride or pride as meekness. Right? We tell ourselves that, um, oh, I, I, I can't do that, but, but I'm not loud and boastful. Right? And we get pride all wrong sometimes. We think of pride as, pride is loud, it's boastful. It's like, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing, right here. And that's true, that is part of pride. But the pride at its truest form is putting your own comfort at a higher level of importance than God's plan and promise for your life. That is pride at its truest form. Right? And you see, going into the land of the giants, it would have been uncomfortable. It would not have been easy for the Israelites. It would have required some difficult encounters. Then the Israelites refused to take that next step. They refused to move beyond where they had become comfortable to seize the promise of God. One thing that I, that I noted um, as I was studying through this, and this I, I found very, very interesting, is when you think of spies, right? You have 12 different spies. And in my mind, I always kind of thought of it as you have your 12 spies. They're just walking through the city. They're taking notes. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, they're big. Yeah, we can't do that. We look like grasshoppers. And that might have been it. But then I think back to whenever I like, used to watch movies as a kid about spies, right? Do spies travel in groups? No. What's the point of being a spy? Being hidden, not being seen. 
So it is most likely that these spies were alone. They were walking through this promised land by themselves, maybe in groups of two, but in small groups, not collectively. All right, walking in that group of 12 would have blown their cover. They, would have obvi- they obviously looked different. Everybody else was like me in college and all my roommates and teammates. Obviously, everybody's like way taller than them. So you get 12 of these little short guys walking around. Um, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But, but when I think about the fact that they were probably by themselves, they were walking through this by themselves, they became intimidated. And they became self-centered. And they became so focused on my own individual limitations in this land, what I can't do, that they completely forgot about. There's a whole group of us out there. Right? We are not alone. We're not going through this together. And it's so easy for us. Sometimes we go through our daily life. We walk through the hallways of the school. We walk through um, our job. We sit at our desk, and you're all by yourself. You're like, I, I can't do this. It's just me. Right? We can't forget, and we can't pigeonhole ourselves into this little spot that, like, I am limited, and I can't do this because of who I am. Okay? And, and you see, the thing is that God is a gentleman. Right? He's not going to force you into his promise, right? His promises are gifts. If you don't want the gifts in the future he's promised for you, okay, fine, sure. That's okay because there's somebody else waiting behind you. There's a generation that is waiting behind you that is ready for the promise and is ready for the calling that I have bestowed upon your nation. So God does just that. The Israelites, they don't want it. He says, okay, fine. You don't want it, you're not gonna get it. You will never see the promised land. Okay, you will never see the land that, ha- that I have to offer you and your household will not see it until the generation after them. So God curses them to wander in the wilderness. And additionally, the 10 men who gave the negative report were struck down, save the two faithful spies who came home ready to seize their promise. Now, this is the same generation that was brought out of Egypt. This was the same generation that they witnessed the plagues. They witnessed the pillar of fire. They witnessed the pillar of a cloud. They witnessed the Red Sea parting. Whenever the Red Sea was in front of them and the enemy was at their backs and they had nowhere to go, what happened every single time? God made a way. And it blows my mind because we do the same thing. How quick are we to forget the deliverance from our past at the first sign of a struggle? Right? So many of us in this place have been brought out of bondage. We have been um, healed from sickness. We've been healed from disease. We've been healed of addictions. And sometimes, and, and again, I'm guilty of this too. Right? We get to that point in the road, like, ah, not this time. That's the one that's going to do us in. All right? And we're so quick to forget the deliverance that God has for us. And most of you know, um, I teach. Somehow, some way, they let me in a school with a, with a bunch of students. The future of our, of our country, I have to teach them about history. Uh, but I also teach a psychology class. I minored in psychology uh, whenever I was in college. And one thing that we talk about in psychology is this thing called learned helplessness. And what that is, simply put, is that whenever an animal or a human being can become, can become so used to helplessness that we actually become more comfortable in our helplessness than we do in our deliverance. And the concept of learned helplessness, just to give you a little backstory about it, was actually discovered by accident uh, by psychologists uh, Martin Seligman and Stephen F. Meyer. They had initially uh, observed helpless behavior in dogs that were classically conditioned to expect some type of electrical shock after hearing a bell or hearing a tone of some kind. Right? So later on, those dogs are actually put, if you like dogs, I, I apologize, this is kind of like not fun, but uh, the dogs are put in a box and it contains two chambers. 
all right, separated by a very low barrier, a barrier that is low enough that it's, it's literally just a step over, like that. And in one side, uh, the dogs are placed, there's three different groups. There's one dog that's strapped in, there's one dog that is not strapped in, um, and then their third group, the dog kind of has a choice of if it gets shocked or not. And what happens is, in these two different groups, you have the one dogs that are strapped in, as soon as they're like unstrapped, they get out. They're constantly shocked and they move over to the other ones. But what happens in this sense of learned helplessness is the third group of dogs, even though they are not strapped in in any way, shape, or form, they become so used to getting shocked. They become so used to the pain. They get so used to that bondage that even though all it is is just a little hurdle over to that next spot, they stay in that box and continue to be shocked. And the dogs are then, uh, I mean, they, they were fine. I think. I know that they're not allowed to do that uh, study anymore, but I do think they were fine. Uh, but due to their previous experiences, they had developed a cognitive expectation that nothing they did would prevent them from the shocks. And what that tells us is that sometimes we, as humans as well, we become so used to our negative situation. We become so used to that wilderness that we've been wandering around in, and we become so accustomed to the way things are or the way things have always been, that even though we get to that point that it is just a little hurdle, it is just a little step, but we're so comfortable in where we are because we've gotten used to the pain, we've gotten used to the hurt, that we can't make that step over into our deliverance and into our promise. And God is waiting for us in this place to step over that hurdle. Whenever I thought about this, I thought about um, the, the parable of the prodigal, right? The son's deliverance, when did it come? Did the father come looking for him in, in the pit, in the pig pen? No, it happened whenever the prodigal said, I'm not going to sit in this anymore. I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm going to go towards the father. And whenever he went towards the father, then the father came and met him. Sometimes God is waiting. God will come and find us, right? The, we hear the parable of he leaves the 99, right, as the shepherd. But sometimes he's just waiting for you to make that first step. And he's waiting for you to turn around and say, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm coming back. I'm not going to live this way anymore. And God, I believe, is waiting for some of us in this place to step over that hurdle, to step into your promise. Just like the Israelites, all it was was just a little hurdle. Okay, I believe that time and time again, God had delivered them. Right? He had made a way out of no way. I truly, truly believe that in order for them to go into the promised land, yeah, they might have been grasshoppers and they would have been giants. I think it's just a step over the hurdle. I think all it took was just a little bit of faith that would just say, you know what, okay, here we go. And that would have been it. I truly, truly believe that. And they refused to take that step. They refused to move over that uncomfortable step into the promise that God had for them. And I believe God has a promise for this church. I believe he has a promise for this congregation. He has a promise for this youth group. And our pastor has a vision to create disciples. And I truly believe that we are right on the edge of that point. And I believe last week, some of us, we stepped over that point, right? We moved into where we need to be. Brother Josh spoke briefly on Wednesday night of a prophetic word given in this place long ago. I believe you said it was by Brother Duffy. Much like the Israelites given to their forefathers, the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey, the promise of a great harvest. In church, we cannot become complacent with where we are at. We can't become so accustomed to where we've been in our own personal lives or as a church, we got to say, no, I'm ready to move on into that promised land. It might be difficult. It might take a little bit from me, but I don't care. 
because I'm not going to sit in this stagnant place anymore. I'm going to move into the plan and the purpose that God has for me. How many promises, how many lives have changed? How many ministries have been sabotaged by the words, I can't. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. That hurdle's too high. We need more Joshua's. We need more Caleb's that say, I know it looks tough. I know there's giants. I know it's going to be difficult, but I don't care because there is a God on my side who is going to walk me through this just like he has time and time again. And in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 13, and I am hurrying here, I promise. uh, The Bible tells us that the spies came to the valley of Eshcol and that they cut off a branch that bared a single cluster of grapes. And that that one branch of grapes was so large, was so heavy, what was waiting for them in the promised land, the harvest that was waiting for them in the promised land was so heavy that one man couldn't carry it on his own. That it was going to take two people to bring it back to the Israelite camp. Right? The promised land contains more fruit than what you can ever imagine. The land just outside houses a revival that is greater than that single cluster of grapes, just like that one cluster of grape that is too big for one man to carry, for one man to carry. And it's going to take more than one man to get that job done. Amen. Our pastor has a vision, and I am thankful for that vision. He can't do it by himself. Okay? He needs a church. And maybe we tell ourselves, I'm not a leader. I'm not one of the leaders of the tribes of Israel. I wasn't a spy that was sent out. I I'm, I'm, wasn't sent here for this. I wasn't meant here for this. Grab a branch. Because the harvest that is waiting for you in the promised land, we can't do it on our own. It's going to take more than one person. It's going to take multiple people. It's going to be all hands on deck. Brother Josh talked about telling his boss he's waiting for the day to say, Sir, I'm sorry, but I can't be here anymore because we're baptizing people left and right. Because there's too many grapes for one man to carry. There's too many grapes for two men to carry. We need all hands on deck. And just like here in chapter 13, I believe last week we saw our own cluster of grapes. We saw up here five, six people that were either filled with the Holy Ghost or were baptized in Jesus' name. Here's what the promised land has to offer. This is it. This is a taste of the grapes. Here it is. We need a spirit of Joshua. We need a spirit of Caleb to sweep through this place. A spirit that rebukes our own limitations, that rebukes our own shortcomings. It says that we saw that bunch of grape that was here today. We saw it. I want more. I want more. I want to see this place full of people. And it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what is out there. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. I truly believe and I want to see... I want to see every single week two, three people up here getting those certificates, saying they were baptized in Jesus' name, saying they were filled with the Holy Ghost, because it's out there. I'm not making it up. It's right here. It's in the promised land that's been promised to you, that's been prophesied to you years ago. It's just out there waiting. The children of Israel could not deny the land of Canaan, the promised land. They couldn't deny that it was a fruitful land. The bunch of grapes was a visual demonstration of it. The ten spies even agree. In verse 32, it says that it is a land that flows with milk and honey. 
The spies themselves say it. They agree. Yeah, there's a lot out there. That's good. But again, they put their own limitations on themselves. Because it's going to take more than saying, yeah, there's revival. And it's so easy for us to do that. I've I've sat in church service after church service where it's like, there's going to be revival. Yeah. And we're like, all right, yeah, cool. And then you just, you leave. And it's over. Right? It's more than words. It's going to take more than saying, yeah, there's a harvest out there. It's going to take action. It's going to take laborers. It's going to take Joshua's. It's going to take Caleb's that are going to say, I am ready to move. And church, the other thing that we see in this passage is we see the ten spies diminish the words of the two. They cast them down. Church, don't discourage our Joshua's and our Caleb's. Parents, don't discourage your Joshua's and your Caleb's. When your children, when your young people, when your college and career, when they say, I want to do something, I want to do this, I want to do that, don't you dare, don't you dare ever say, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're just a grasshopper. That's a land of giants. You're the only apostolic young lady in your school, but it does not matter because in that land of giants, there's a Joshua and there is a Caleb because there is a bunch of grapes that it's going to take more than one to carry. In the name of Jesus, musicians, if you can come. We need to uplift one another. We need to empower one another. We need to encourage our Joshua's and our Caleb's. We need to lift them up. Because church, you see, we don't have time to wander in the wilderness. Look around you. I mean, even in our, in our own country, across the globe, we don't have time to wander in the wilderness. Our time on this earth is short. We can't move, we can't not move into what God has for us because there is a harvest. There are souls. We gotta seize our promise. We gotta seize our promise right in this moment. We gotta be willing to step over that hurdle. If we can, real quick, can we pull up Acts uh, 1-8 again real quick? I'm sorry, I should have told you in advance. While, While they're getting that pulled up, Acts 1 verse 8 it says and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth when pastor asked me to speak he said I want you to share your vision for the youth group with the rest of the church that's it right there that we've been filled with the Holy Ghost And if you haven't been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, man, what better time than right now? But you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have been given the power that, yeah, you're going to be walking in that land of giants. You're going to be a grasshopper walking in that land. But you have been given the power that you need to be witnesses to the end of the earth. I don't believe, I believe that that is not only a request, but I believe that it is a prophetic word. That after you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that you will be a witness to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. We've been filled with this promise. The Holy Spirit of Christ dwells within us. Yes, you might be a grasshopper in a land full of giants, but you're a powerful grasshopper. You have power. And because of that power that you have been given, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. We need a church body that holds on to this. We need a family that can catch the vision of Joshua and Caleb that says, I'm going into that promised land. Let's go. Let's take it. It's ours for the taking. 
I wasn't going to do this. I'm going to embarrass the youth real quick. I'm sorry in advance. But last week, Damien was baptized. And Damien, he was posting on Facebook. He was excited, and it made me so happy to see how excited you were. And Damien, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. But Damien made a post, I believe it was either Sunday night or Monday morning, where he said he talked to his mom, and his mom wants to come to church with him. This is a Joshua. Kiana Martinez is the lone apostolic young lady in her school. A month ago, she came up to me. She said, Caleb, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to start a P7 club. Even though I'm in a land of giants, I need to start this P7 Bible club. This is the spirit of Caleb. Asher, Cooper, they're trailblazers. They raised $1,000, I believe, for She's for Christ. That's the spirit of a Joshua. That's the spirit of a Caleb. But it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter your capabilities. It does not matter what you do. I am going to move into the land that God has promised me. So this morning as I close, if you'll stand with me. I want to open up these altars for someone who says, I'm not going to wander in the wilderness any longer. I am tired of sitting in that place of helplessness. I am tired of wandering around, moving from place to place, just trying to make it. But I am ready to move into the promise and the calling that God has on my life and on this church. So I want to open these altars tonight, this morning, to someone that says, I'm not going to wander. I'm not going to miss out on this promise. Someone who says, I am ready to walk in a land of giants. There's a Joshua or a Caleb in this place that says, I'm ready to carry some grapes. I know it's going to be heavy. I know it's going to be hard, but it's all hands on deck. I am ready to see the promises that God has for my family, that he has for my life, and that he has for this church, that he has for the city of Kendallville, that he has for the surrounding area. The grapes are out there. But it's going to take more than just one person. It's going to take more than two people. It is going to take a collective group of believers that say, I'm ready to walk amongst the giants. I'm challenging you today. As you pray, don't rush it. Seize your promise. Spirit of the Lord.